May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning. Every family has traditions. Birthdays, holidays, certain vacations. Families are excellent keepers of ritual. My family has its own share of traditions, but one of the most complicated is our annual Christmas card picture. Why is it complicated? The first is that we didn't begin taking Christmas card pictures until all the kids were teenagers. There was no long-standing photographic history of all of us in white shirts and blue jeans, or wearing Santa hats at the beach, or even standing in the same order. No, ours is a hodgepodge, take the picture when you have all three kids together kind of tradition. Second, it doesn't help matters that when the three of us are together and our parents are trying to direct us, my brothers and I are, at best, dynamic. In an effort to appear taller, my brothers constantly stand on their toes or push down on my shoulders to achieve maximum height. This has at least twice resulted in physical injury and also resulted in just my head appearing on the Christmas card. It is impossible to take a picture where each of us looks normal, much less when all three of us look our best. And so my mom devised a non-negotiable system. Each year, who looks the best in the photo rotates from child to child. It doesn't matter how goofy or silly the other two look, the person of the year gets to look the best. No argument. There's so much pressure around this picture. This will be hanging on people's walls in their homes. This will be sitting in a basket for perfect strangers to thumb through when they're bored at their own family gathering. And for a whole year, how my family looks in this snapshot communicates to a whole host of people the lives we live and who we are for better and for worse. The strange nature of a photo for any of us is that it is a frozen moment in time, simultaneously an accurate representation of who we are, but also an interpretation, a version of us. So, Often we clamor to appear a certain way to others, to project an ideal image of who we are and the lives we lead. Don't tell me that you haven't spent a considerable amount of time thinking about which picture will be used for your Facebook profile. We want to be seen and understood as good, successful, powerful, and even perfect. We want to project a smooth and unflappable idea of ourselves to others. This is what it means to be me. We want our presentation and bearing to show. Sometimes that rubs roughly against our own internal slideshow of faults and struggles and ambitions. These competing ideas of what it means to be me are measured against our ability to conform. Conforming to mixed social and personal messages of goodness of greatness, even perfection, exerts upon us a great pressure in both our minds and our hearts. We struggle to conform to the ideals our relationships, 
our families, our televisions, and our society tell us to consume without question. Sometimes these standards are realistic, but often you and I attach to the unrealistic ones, the wild and photogenic versions of perfection. They are the ideas and ideals that can keep us up at night. Am I a good parent? Am I a faithful friend? Should I look different? How do I really know that I'm successful? What does it mean to be who I am? Who am I is a question of identity. And when it comes to identity, we are most often able to define it by what or who we are not. Identity is often discovered through systematic eliminations. Sometimes there is humor in the moment. Well, I'm definitely not meant to be a professional roller skater. Sometimes there is elation. I'm no longer a person living with cancer. And sometimes there's pain and sadness. I'm not married anymore. In Paul's letter to the Romans, he seeks to advise them over and over on this question of identity. This is not a community Paul knows from experience. In fact, the church in Rome is not a church that Paul knew. But their struggle is something that Paul himself knows well and sees across new Christian families. The question in Rome is all about transformed identity. What does it take to look like a Christian? What are these new family traditions? The community in Rome is so wrapped up in what it means to be followers of Christ that they've jumped the shark. What they are wrapped up in now is just how Jewish and not Gentile a Christian needs to be. This is a community defined for thousands of years by conforming to particular traditions and images. There are levels of tribe and nation that require subscription precisely so that others will be able to, by a glance, understand who you belong to and therefore who you are. What you eat, what you wear, what you look like, all of these things communicate who your people are, who your family is, and the standards and traditions that go along with it. What this Roman church is wrestling with is that they can't define their new selves with their old language. That the old family cannot make sense of the new family. The language of Jew and Gentile, the trappings of who is in and who is out, all of this is causing massive turmoil for people struggling to accept the fact that in Christ all things are being made new. What was true is not true anymore, and they're understandably frustrated. When Paul writes to this church, they're turning away from the promise and hope of a new life by sheltering themselves in the stiff and cramped ideals of their past. The reality of Christ makes them ask the uncomfortable question, if we are not Jew and we are not Gentile, then who are we? What family do we belong to? In today's lesson, Paul tells them exactly who they are and who they are called to be. Be hopeful, Paul says. 
you are a part of God's family, a family unbounded by time or circumstance. Nothing you do or say or pretend to be changes the fact that you have been brought to this family through Jesus Christ. Here is your hope in Christ, Paul says, that you were adopted by God and are his children. Jesus is the Son of God, deeply loved, steeped in abundance and grace, and you are too. No longer do you need to conform to the images of the world around you because you have the opportunity to conform to the image of Christ. You have the ability to know and love Christ and to shape yourself to his image and grow as members of God's family. You are empowered to live as Jesus did, to be in relationship with God as Jesus is, to love one another as Jesus loved us. This is non-negotiable, Paul says. This is a package deal. It is the opportunity of a lifetime to be a part of the kingdom of God. It's built right in with no additional cost and an internal warranty. Our hope in Christ means first and foremost acceptance by God exactly for who we are right now, whether we're showing our best side or our warts. It means that we're part of the family. As brothers and sisters of Christ, we should look to him as our example and our guide and our sibling. We are heirs with Jesus to the kingdom of God. What does this kingdom of God look like? The bite-sized parables in today's gospel show us that the kingdom is about abundance and transformation and opportunity and blessing. Jesus shares these nuggets of mystery and wisdom with his disciples, his family. Every parable today is about growth and life and what it means to cherish something. Flower and rising yeast. Alone, we may not be able to accomplish much, but together our reaction may bear nourishment and sustenance for others. A treasure in the field? When we recognize the miraculous gift, we will happily do everything in our power to hold on to it. A mustard seed? Even the smallest can be more than we can imagine or hope for. These snapshots of the kingdom are the promises of God to us. Fantastically, there's nothing we can do to change that. We may fool ourselves from time to time by conforming to the false promises of our world. We may try and try again to only be Christmas card material. But this is what it means to be us, above and before any other label. We are the beloved children of God. We are blessed with an abundance of grace and the opportunity to live as Jesus Christ did in word and action in things done and left undone with our whole hearts every single day. And when we fall into sin, or when we doubt, or when we feel confused, or lost, or afraid, we know that love is our family tradition. And Paul tells us that neither death, 
nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.